Welcome back to the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. In this podcast, we focus on helping B2B founders take their companies from startup to scale up or from zero to 10 million. Each week, I will chat with guests that are thought leaders or founders that will provide actionable tips and strategies to help you scale. This week, I speak with B2B founder Norman Crawley. He is the founder of Crawley Carbon. At last check, I believe there are 27 companies or divisions or products currently under development at, at Crawley Carbon. And his mission is to help fight climate change. In this episode, we talk about how he has been able to scale multiple companies in different industries from welding to software until now climate change. We really dig into how the growth, how he's been able to grow companies, how that's changed in the past couple of years and content being a key driver of growth. Also talks about his keys to success, people, how he hires, a lot of really good value in this episode. I enjoyed the conversation and I think you will as well. Now, on to the interview. Hey, Norman, welcome to the podcast. Hey, good to be here, Brett. I'm excited to have you. And I chatting a little bit offline, said, hey, you are my first official guest from Ireland. So I'm super excited about that. It's it's good to represent different international business communities. So so welcome. To get us started, why don't you share with the audience just a little bit about what your background is, which was fascinating, and then two, a little bit what you're working on today, and we'll we'll dive in. Yeah. Um, so background, I set up my first company when I was 15, which was an engineering business, kind of always wanted to have my own business, always wanted to make money, I guess. And when I was about 13, my dad taught me how to weld. Uh, we were, we lived on a farm and, and I learned that I could weld and therefore I learned that I could fix things for other farmers. And that was, that became a business. And by the time I left high school, I had kind of 10 people working for me. <laughs> so really? we finished yeah, we finished high school here at kind of 16, 17. And okay. that was the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey. Sold that business when I was 20 for not a lot of money, but a little bit. And then I always loved software. I, even when I was a kid, I used to write software in my bedroom. And so set up a tech company selling computers and selling software and grew that business. And then in 1997, discovered the internet, became obsessed with the internet, moved our tech company to being an internet company, one of the first, and then sold that in 1999 at the ripe old age of 28. Um, and I retired for about five minutes. Uh, well, I had this vision that I wanted to retire before I was 30. And then I retired and it, it wasn't what I thought it was. <laughs> a lot of really free time plan, at that point in time, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you discovered in that your friends have to work, right? So it's not like you can just all go to the bar and get drunk, right? You got to, um, <laughs> everybody else uh, still has no time to play. And so so then we set up another company, which was a gaming technology company called Inspired Gaming. And, and that became a relative monster, kind of two and a half thousand people. It went from eight people to two and a half thousand people over six years and revenues, 500 million bucks. And we floated that on the London Stock Exchange in 2006. And then we sold it in 2008 for a half a billion dollars. And 
And along the way, kind of had a famous thing happen us, which is that we almost sold the business for a billion bucks and the sale fell through with an hour to go. Oh, so, no. and, this, and that was during the whole Lehman Brothers GFC oh, crisis. Okay. Yeah. So, but it was, it was probably closer to a billion bucks sale than anybody else gets. And then when we sold that company in, in 2008, we kind of knew that we wanted to go again because we have the entrepreneurial bug, I guess. But we also wanted to, we didn't want to just set up another business, buying something for a dollar, selling it for two. And so we wanted to have an impact as well. And the kind of battlefield we chose, I guess, was climate change, because there are several existential threats to mankind, nuclear, AI, maybe, and climate change. And so we felt that that was the battleground we wanted to fight on. And and so we set up first in energy efficiency and then renewable energy and what's now called Cool Planet Group. And so the first division of that is energy. And we, in that, we work with some of the biggest corporations in the world, four of the top five food companies, seven of the top eight pharma companies, a bunch of mining companies, a bunch of steel companies, anyone who uses a lot of energy, basically. And we... We've developed a software platform in that space, B2B, Internet of Things, around industrial, mainly energy efficiency. That software platform is called Clarity. And for our biggest customer, we save them about 100 million bucks annually in energy. And so then when we looked at climate change again, we figured that the three things that if you can solve them in climate change, you can basically solved the whole thing is energy transport food. And so we were growing like crazy in energy. And then in 2019, we started what's called Electrify. And Electrify is a, we convert vehicles from using petrol or diesel or gasoline and diesel to electric, um, particularly specialist vehicles. And that could be anything from a, a classic car so we, we can make a Corvette Stingray go pretty fast, all the way through to like a mining support vehicle or something like that. And we convert them from gasoline to electric. And that's, a, that's become a phenomenally successful business. It's growing at about 500% every year. And we've, got, we've gone from having one factory in a little shed to having four factories in, in two different countries. And then finally is food. And in food, we've got a startup uh, and it works in the area of cellular agriculture or what's called cell ag. And that's because meat's a big problem, right? Humans like meat, but meat's a big climate problem. It's depending on which number, it's either 14% or up to 30% of the total climate problem. And as our population grows globally, it's just we're eating too much meat. And whether you agree with climate change or not, there's just a reality you can't avoid, which is that if if, if everybody every human is going to eat meat by 2050, then we need seven planets worth of soil and water. And we only have one planet. Yeah. <laughs> and so even, even if you don't buy climate change, like there's a logistics problem, right? A capacity problem. And so cell ag is this technology that allows you to grow burgers in a, in a bioreactor basically. And, and it is the solution to climate and um, to food and climate. And so we've got a startup in that space. And then along the way, we also have an education startup that works in climate change and in the area of ed tech. 
So that's the group. Well, and there's so many places, but you know, with one, congratulations <laughs> yeah. on everything that you've accomplished, right? Because there's kind of a career up to the age of 28. And mm-hmm. curious, I definitely wanted to dive into your current ventures, which you know, I usually preach, you know, there's riches in the niches, focus on one thing until you get really good at it, then expand, but you've kind of taken the expand first, let's cover all the problems. But first, on a more macro, I'm just curious from your, your perspective, how to grow a B2B company and how that's changed, I would say in the last three years, but you've been in the last 15 years. So as you started with your new ventures, you're right. How did you, how did you approach growth? And then I've got a bunch of other questions, but <laughs> yeah. let's start there. Well, if you take it at its widest, like, I guess I was always a good sales guy, right? You know, when you start young, you learn fast. And and also when you don't eat, unless you sell, then you become a good sales guy or you don't eat. And so as the businesses grew, I became quite a good corporate sales guy. I'm probably a pretty crap negotiator, actually, but but I'm very good at painting the vision and getting the deal across the line. That's what allowed us to grow our businesses traditionally. And then the the challenges when you grow globally then, and we operate in 23 countries, the challenge in the traditional B2B is that you're depending on, on hiring superstars. And, and by that, I mean a guy or a gal who's an awesome salesperson, who is good at the detail, charming in the boardroom, and technically very competent. And that's almost an impossible person because if somebody is good in the bedroom, <laughs> bedroom, good in the boardroom, <laughs> somebody's As good the in the bedroom, <laughs> yeah, that maybe that's well in the past. Um, like, so, but somebody who's good in the boardroom, somebody who's technical, somebody who's numerically competent, chances are they're running their own business, right? And good if point, they're yeah. not, then you're going to pay them a bag load of money. And then if you can find them, then how many can you find, right? And that's the limiter to growth, right? And that's always been the limiter to growth. And and bigger companies have more of those people and more successful companies have more of those people. But then what we've noticed in the last three years is this rise, it's changed irrevocably, actually. So up until then, that was the only way you sold B2B, right? And marketing was a sideshow and the other stuff yeah. wasn't really that important. And then you also, you put up with this thing of, well, the buyer in Costco doesn't like me and therefore we're not going to do a deal or the CEO of some GE doesn't like me and we're not going to do a deal. And that was always the thing, right? And yeah. the p- political wind would go against you. You'd lose a deal or you might screw it up on technical or whatever. But now with the advent of online, now it's changed irrevocably because now what happens is you don't need superstars anymore. You can break down your sales process into micro components. You can then hire people on relatively low wages to do each step of the micro component. And then you, the other thing that's changed massively is now you need massive content creation. So you need like our business has two full-time videographers, right? We have social media buyers, like we, we have analytics, we have all of the bits, like we have an audio team now creating audio content. And, and even when you're small now, let's say you're a one or two person operation and you're listening to this, like you have to be able to create massive quantities of ideally high quality content. Um, 
and get that out there. But then it becomes your superpower because you can, like all of a sudden, if the buyer doesn't like you, that doesn't matter because you've, you know that 600 people in their organization have opened an email from you and 40 have been on a webinar. And so you've, you've disintermediated the one person who mightn't like you, right? And, right? and what it means as well is that when you open in Brazil, you don't need to hire a superstar in Brazil. You, you just need your content to be Brazilian and to appear to a local audience. And then everything starts wrapping around that. And, and it gives you a new superpower, which is that you can infiltrate organizations a lot of the time, whether the organization wants to be infiltrated or not. But it does mean that you're only as good as your last piece of content, basically. And you're certainly only as good as your last product. If the product doesn't work or it's dog shit, then, right. then it's a waste of time. Right. Um, yeah. But you'll know that pretty quickly. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's so true. And we're, I'm seeing that trend, mm-hmm. but not, I guess, more legacy B2B companies that have been around a while. This is a mm-hmm. really tough concept for them. It's to a grasp. really tough concept. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you don't have a, a chief executive or, or a chief revenue officer who's got a personality and, and can tell a story, then you're really going to struggle. But us Irish guys were pretty good at telling stories. You know? <laughs> yeah, but I think, but I think you're right. From a startup onwards, right, it's going to be harder to separate the founder from the brand, or should be, right? Because you're going to be the person, or the co-founders are the ones that are passionate about solving this problem, whether it's global or micro, whatever it is. If you're not passionate, it's going to be hard to get your employees and then your customers fired up about it. So, just curious. Yeah. And we back- we find that easy, you know, but other people find it really difficult you know (laughs) and 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 that it's a tough break because it is the way it's going yeah 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 no i 100 percent agree and i love the way you framed that and even thinking back to the early days when you decided this is you know climate change is the the problem that you wanted to tackle right there was you mentioned three different paths and did you have a small team that just i'm just curious how it went from this is where we want to tackle to actually up and running? Was it just ideas in a lot of different areas or how did you kind of test and feel and, and build? Yeah, them? we always do it in the same way, which is we jump in with both feet. Like when we when we started off, we didn't know anything about energy efficiency. So we, we acquired the rights to a product first. It didn't cost that much money, 10 or 20,000 bucks. And then the product was rubbish, didn't work but it allowed us to talk to customers. And then when you start talking to customer, customers says, well, I don't want to buy that off you because that's kind of rubbish, but I'd like to buy this if you had it. And then you you got a customer then, right? And and that's how everything starts. And then even when we, when we started on electric vehicles, right? And we were just like, well, I wonder if we took this Land Rover and put a battery and a, and a motor in it, could we make it drive? And then the answer was yes. And then when you do that, somebody says, well, I'll buy that off you. And then you go, okay, well, Let's see if we can make it safe first and, and then we'll start to you. And so you get into the business very quickly, you know. And what's great, I think, about an entrepreneurial journey too, is once you can get traction in one area, um, it's nice to learn. I think the only way to have a long career as an entrepreneur and the only way to be happy doing that is to learn more and more. And that's we like learning new stuff about how things work. 
like we're putting in a crypto platform into one of our software businesses at the moment. And so we're learning how Ethereum works and, and how you link to it and who the players are. And that's really interesting, you know, and it's nice to learn this stuff. It's, I think if you're not learning new stuff and you're just waking up in the morning and looking in the mirror and saying, how do I face this day? Then, you know, that's a tough gig. Yeah, you got to enjoy the process, right? It's it's going to be a grind, but yeah, if you don't enjoy it, it's going to be disappointed at the end, regardless of of the outcome. So, yeah, and I think too, interviewing this, I think we'll have by the time this is recorded, we'll have over a hundred, you know, episodes and talking to different founders. One of the things they struggled with, and maybe because this is your third or fourth venture. Now you've figured out how to get yourself out of the day-to-day. That is one of the, the biggest, the two blockers they they came across and both of what come was, man, selling outside of the people I know into the network. And I'm sure in climate change, you didn't know a ton of people when you started that. And two is getting out of the, the day-to-day and getting out of the way and letting the right people run and, and drive the business. And, you know, if you've got that many kind of spokes or arms within the, the climate change businesses or that you're building, you had no choice, right? You had to find people to get in and let run that. So maybe you could talk. But also you, at, yeah, you attract people really. And if you think you're, if your vision is big enough, right? Um, you attract the people that, and then, once you attract the right people, then just let them let them do their thing, right? So we, when we bring somebody in new, we watch them very closely for a short while, and we we're known as well. We'll fire fast, right? So if they come in and they're not performing, or there's a particular personality quirk, they'll be gone very quickly. So we don't make any bones about that, and and it shocks some of our managers and some of our executives when they're new, especially because somebody will start and then we'll say, Hey, I don't think they're working out. And somebody said, well, it's only been a month. And we're like, well, a month's a long time. Right. And, and it's not so nasty. People sometimes look at that as nasty. It's not, it's like, look, if it's not going to work, then let the person get back out into the workplace fast and find a place that it is going to work. But then when it works, it's really give them the space, give them the training, give them the space. And But attracting them in the first place, a lot of the time, if you're not attracting absolute talent, it's because of some insecurity that you have. And, and maybe you should look at that in the mirror and work on that because other people, really good people can smell insecurity and fear and uncertainty. And if they smell it, they'll run a million miles from it. I was, before this uh, recording, I was interviewing a guy for a role. And because of the brave new world we live in, the person I was interviewing were, was in Iceland. They were in Reykjavik. And I. it was weird interviewing him because it's quite a senior role, but I knew I'd never physically meet this person. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but like there the interview went really well and their talent was immense and their background was immense. Like they'd gone to Yale, they'd done an MBA, massive experience. And I, it really struck me as I was interviewing them that we could never have attracted this talent before. And, and now we almost take it for granted. But, uh, and the reason is because we believe and because we believe they believe and because they believe they want to join. And so if you're not attracting the talent and you have a constant, litany of bad hires maybe look in the mirror a little bit yeah yeah i think that's really good advice and and i think really accurate and just curious back to the earlier days before you had the momentum and it was still more of the vision was there something specific you were looking for 
when you're making those initial hires or, you know, well, for us, it's, yeah, for us, it's a couple of things. It's, we don't hire assholes and <laughs> because we don't, we don't have the time and it's too much of a mental overhead for us. And that's got nothing to do with talent. It's got to do with if somebody is just insecure in some kind of way, and that may be because they were never hugged as a child or I don't know, then that's too much of a mental overhead for us. And if I'm on a if I'm on a Zoom call and there's six people on it, I don't want to be second guessing what the six people are thinking about, right? I just we just want to get on and get the work done. And so one bit of it is just that interpersonal thing is if it's a cliche, but if we were in a bar, would I spend three or four hours drinking with this person? Right. And if the answer to that is no, then not a hope. And when we do interviews now, like we'll go through that process three times with three different sets of executives. And so the person needs to be good enough to go drinking with any of our team. <laughs> and that's not a that's not a volume competition. That's just more a, are you fun out socially? And then if the answer to that is yes, we can pretty much train for anything else. Like we can train for any technical thing. So really, it's about the person. And we interviewed somebody for a financial role this week, and they didn't have any of the qualifications we needed, actually, but they had grown up on the wrong side of the tracks, and they made their own money to go to college, and then they loved climate change and were passionate about it and did it in their own spare time. And But they were well off in terms of technical qualifications, but we hired them on the spot because we were like, that's it. You know, we'll, we'll fill the gaps in that person, but we want that person. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good lesson. I love that too. I've always been a big believer in hiring for the person and then you can, you can train or, or see, and just to even tie off on your original point of fire fast. I mean, odds are, if, if you're not happy, that person's not happy and how you don't need somebody in a, a role for two years where neither side's happy and you're just giving them the chance. Yeah. I think the the sooner. And happy. look, it's horrible. And I've, I've probably fired 2,000 people either directly or indirectly in my career, and I've hated every single one of them. And when we interview somebody and we say, tell us about a crisis that you had, they always say firing people. You know, it's awful. Yeah unless you're a psychopath yeah yeah no and i don't think you can grow a business well maybe you can as a psychopath but i don't think so and i think (laughs) there aren't too many big time ceos who are psychopaths (laughs) or maybe they're all psychopaths (laughs) (laughs) in one sense but you got to be people person first so one one last kind of big area i want to touch on and just kind of curious as you started to scale right it's founder led you're doing a lot of these things and you can use each of your companies and when did you start to introduce process into the org organization, right? Because sometimes you can get paralyzed with over-processing, but I've yeah. also seen it where they waited too long to start putting some you know, process yeah. into place. I'm just curious your yeah. overall approach. I'm not the process guy in our businesses. I hire people who understand process. Like if you take our automotive business, like we hired people who used to work in McLaren and Williams, the Formula One team, and they had a process. And then we just implemented the process that they had learned over the years. And so when you start hiring anybody, really, you, you need a process pretty quickly. But what I find is the really good people are a mixture of process and hard work and human communication, right? And a lot of the time, people who are rubbish aren't that good. They hide behind the fact that a process doesn't exist. Yeah. And it's never, that's never the problem. If somebody comes to you and says, the reason I didn't succeed in my department is because we don't have a process, 
that's never the problem. Because it's never the problem for two reasons. One, it's never the problem anyway. But two, if they were good, they'd put in the bloody process, right? And so a process isn't that complicated, but people hide behind it. If people are pretty crap interpersonally or they're pretty lazy, then they'll always blame process. Now, you have to have process, but process should be constantly evolving and realistic and relevant. Like So in our businesses, safety is a big thing, right? In our car business, in our energy business because you can kill somebody, right? And so we have to have process, but that process never slows us down, right? And, and we have quite a rigorous safety process and, and it exists and we constantly remind teams about it and we genuinely remind them, we're not just doing it for the sake of it. We are really passionate about it, but it never slows things down, right? It is because what we find if you take safety, for example, is if you, if you speed over something and it's unsafe, it's, it's not just unsafe, but you're messing as well. You haven't thought through this process properly. You know, you haven't understood the fundamentals. There's all sorts of other negative side effects of it. So process is, to use a gaming phrase, is a table stake, right? It's like you have to have it or else you're not going to do anything. But when people hide behind it and bullshit about it, then, you know, you need to look at that too. Yeah. Welcome to legacy B2B companies, <laughs> yeah. process outdated technologies and, yeah. you know, what, yeah. just kind of a little bit tying the process back to, to growth, right? Because I've seen, again, I lived in very large older organizations and go to market and acquisition costs are super expensive, but with content mm-hmm. and digital, you know, have you seen a major shift in kind of that, you know, new business development? Let's put it that way. Just that's kind of one area I wanted to tie off because I do believe in yeah. the content, but kind of fill in the rest of the picture of, again, maybe what's changed since 15 years ago, or even five years yeah. ago and how you guys are approaching that now. Well, like I said before, it was always about the superstar sales guy and then they would go in and, and command the boardroom and bring a deal or not bring a deal. And the problem with that is sales were always lumpy, right? right? There was no real science to it. Some people had a bit of a science to it, but most people, including us, didn't have a science to it. And now if you Google anything around tofu, for instance, top of the funnel, all the stuff around sales, it's... Now, like to, to quote Matt Damon from The Martian, they've scienced the shit out of this thing, right? <laughs> and we love that. So like now, if you're not getting, if your sales aren't coming through, you can analyze it very quickly and go top of the funnel is not that good or whatever it might be. Yeah. And if you're losing clients, you know you can look that up and figure out instantly why that's happening. And that was never the case before. It would be like, a year afterwards and you'd be trying to figure out what the hell happened and now it's super now absolutely it's so simple now to understand why things aren't performing and so if you're listening to this and and you're saying well what's he talking about like go on to like hubspot or anybody like that and just and one you can go in and they'll give you a master class on how to build b2b SaaS or whatever sector you're in and then if you don't understand it, go down another rabbit hole and content creation. What does it mean? How do we do it? And then also, it's like everything in business. Just take a step. It doesn't have to be the right step. It's like I'm learning how to tweet at the moment. Like I know how to tweet, right? But I'm, I'm learning yeah. how to regularly tweet insights, right? And, and the first couple are dog shit tweets and stupid and nobody would read them. But slowly now, it's getting better, right? And so... 
and but it's only getting better because it was it was worse right, right and now it's getting right. better so but you have to have the courage to put your feet in and look like an idiot otherwise like it's not going to work and it can't be perfect first how could it be yeah i mean one of the phrases i've heard recently which i've been borrowing quite a bit is the key to success is humanizing your business and that's exactly what you're talking about is the personal touch from the founder ceo but it can't stop with you right you've got to get everybody kind of engaged with within that that process but what starts with the ceo is the tone too right it's like if they see that i'm not afraid to fuck up and admit that i'm an idiot then they'll admit they're an idiot. And then if something goes wrong, if I don't go after them and say, hey, you screwed up there, but I just kind of go, hey, how do we learn that better? Or what did we do? Then they won't take offense and then they'll do the same with their team. But if the guy in the top is a bit of an egomaniac and a bit of a dictator, then the whole thing, just wait and the whole thing will mess it, itself up pretty quickly. You know, um, yeah, 100% agree. And, and Norman, I could probably talk to you for another hour and a half, but I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time. And you've given us so much value already. So I'm just kind of curious. The one thing I ask every guest is, what is what is one thing that you would highly recommend? It could be personal or professional. It's kind of top of mind for you these days. Yeah. Well, it's a bit of both, actually, is is discipline, right? And uh, when anyone looks at me, they would say he's, they wouldn't think of discipline. But if you're going to do this for the long haul, you've got to look after yourself, um, both physically and your mind. And so the one, there are so many recipes to success, depending on what stage you're at and, and all of that. But the one absolute surety is if you can look after your mind, which to me is something like mindfulness, which is free, and you can download apps, but you don't really need to. And then eating right. Like to give you an idea of my day, first thing in the morning, into the gym, no messing, like into the gym or running or whatever it is. Why? Because it balances your cortisol, reduces your stress, allows you to think. Then eating properly, pretty much all the time right and uh, what does that do for you kind of monster energy monster clarity of thought no fuzziness and then when the day is over i would spend an hour doing mindfulness and why because it allows your brain to process and increases the size of your frontal lobe which increases your empathy increases your ability to focus and they're the things, and that's discipline, right? And David Goggins, if you've, if you've ever read his book, yeah, he's amazing. But he talks about discipline, or Jocko Willing talks about discipline equals freedom. I would never have said I'm the most disciplined person in the world. But the thing I've learned more and more is, is discipline is freedom. You, if you can do those things, then you are the ninja in, in the business. And people... People always say to me, how the hell at seven o'clock in the evening can you spend three hours on a legal call focusing on a contract? You must be wrecked. And it's because we have those tools, right? The physiology, the mindfulness that allow us to play that game. Yeah, that's that's fantastic and, and great advice. And I do think more founders really need, need to pay attention to this early on in their journey and not try to correct some things 10 years down the, the path. One follow-up question that worth. Where do you fall on, you get enough sleep? Because that, that's one thing I've been focused on a lot is trying to get more and I'm getting better, but it's not as... Yeah, no, I sleep like the dead. Yeah. Uh, and it's because it's be- mindfulness, like, so crappy food leads to bad sleep. Too much coffee leads to bad sleep. Mindfulness is the sleep, ultimate sleep hack, actually. You know, like if you, if you do mindfulness for about six or seven days, 
even though you don't think it's working. And even if you only do 10 minutes a day, which is nothing, um, you'll, you'll sleep. But again, sleep is a physiological concept. If you're not exercising, if you're, if you're drinking too many stimulants, and then if you're not meditating, then your sleep's going to be shit. Yeah. yeah no, but, and which, sleep is a killer. Yeah. yeah. I ate some dark chocolate too late last night and I, I, I only got about five hours. Uh, and, but I don't need to wonder today where it all went wrong, right? I just, yeah, you know, dark chocolate too late. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the fact that you can track it to back where your sleep issue came from is is, is awesome so yeah but you know that's a funny thing and i'll, I'll shut up about it then no like please in, in a modern business with the pace that we're required to move at like not doing these things is an unacceptable behavior yeah like you can't eat crap not exercise then counteract that with alcohol and stimulants and don't get me wrong i like a bit of alcohol but like and then wonder where it's all going wrong like it's very simple where it's going wrong and and then as you get older you're going to have health issues and all that kind of stuff as well so it's just it's you know it's back to that word table stake this stuff is a table stake don't play the game unless you're prepared to do the work uh, to prep for it. Yeah, I think uh, too many young founders still view working 19 hours a day as the badge of honor. And studies have had, I've had different guests on that talk about the productivity. In a given day, you're good for about a three plus hours of hardcore work and the rest of your day is is not as productive. So carve out that time. And if you're not getting to sleep, your food, the diet, you're not going to be as, as strong as you need to be. So no, great advice. I love it. And if folks are interested in learning more about you and your plethora of different companies and yep. great work you're doing with climate change, what's the best way for, for folks yep. to connect with you? Yeah, two things. Google Cool Planet Group and you'll find us. And the other one is me on Twitter. So I'm Norman Crowley one, the number one. So Norman, N-O-R-M-A-N-C-R-O-W-L-E-Y and the number one. I kind of screwed up. It was Norman Crowley and then I lost the login or something. What do you think? Oh, so no. I'm Norman Crowley one. <laughs> Actually, that one's not bad. I kind of like the, you are the number one. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to claim those early, early and often. And I'll put those in the show notes so folks can easily find it. So. Well, Norman, thank you very much for, for joining the podcast today. It was highly informative and I got a ton of value. So I'm sure the audience did as well. And if you don't mind, we'd love to check back in with you in maybe another yeah. eight to 12 yeah. months to see what, what yeah, what's up, right. what's next. <laughs> yeah, perfect. No, delighted. Thanks, awesome. Brett. Appreciate the time. Awesome. Have yeah. a great rest of your day. Yeah, you too. <laughs> Thanks.